You're listening to the Ambition Incubator podcast, and I'm your host, Deirdre Morrison. Creativity is something that we all need, use, and indeed have in spades, but we don't always appreciate it or know how to encourage it. In this occasional series of conversations, I'm talking to creative professionals, people who get paid to provide creativity on tap, and people who've been able to remain creatively successful over the course of their careers. We'll talk about the highs and lows of this kind of work, try to disentangle their secrets for success, and find out whether Steve Jobs was right when he said that real artists ship. Today, I've had the pleasure of speaking to the creator and curator of a piece of art that blurs the lines between culture, beauty, and meaning. Kirsty McLeod started working on a project that's simply known as The Red Dress 17 years ago. And in that time, she's worked with artisans in 46 countries to create a stunning and exquisite work of art that gives dignity and voice to marginalized women, refugees, and those who've been traumatized by conflict, showcasing their creations alongside those of professional creatives and renowned artisans. It's been an emotional and somewhat unexpected journey, and Kirsty talks us through what it's like to spend almost two decades on a single creative project, how she learned to protect herself while being the conduit for the voices of the women co-creating this legacy work, and what's next for the red dress. Kirsty, I wonder if there was a moment that you can remember that actually set you off on this incredible 17-year journey. Oh, one moment. I think it was a real distillation of all of my childhood, I think. Mm. And so I lived abroad in many different countries and was, I guess, exposed to such a variety of different cultures, colours, textures, languages. And it didn't feel unusual to other time. You know, what you have around you is what you just take for, for normal, don't you? But I think looking mm-hmm. back, it was, it, was a, it was a pretty wild upbringing. And I think in a way that the, 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 the red dress is a way of me trying to understand myself. Ah. And I think I was trying to figure out my own identity and feeling like I was just this complete amalgamation and, and patchwork quilt almost of all these different experiences and and cultures I never really thought I of myself as English I still don't actually someone once heard a linguist once heard my accent he said gosh where have you lived you've got like this from (laughs) Africa Yoruba and this from Tokyo and this from and uh yeah so I think I think it was like a a whole kind of all my former years all 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 kind of into a big bundle all all coming together but seen through my kind of in my mid-20s this kind of lens of of uh, beginning to reflect and try and understand my purpose and why I was here and what was going on around me. And in a greater sense, this real preoccupation with inequality, prejudice, mm-hmm. and how I was seeing women being treated in so many different spaces and arenas. And, and this this real, I'd say anger, it was much more than anger, it was more a rage. Mm. So. Yeah, when the opportunity came to create a piece of work for an art fair in Dubai, um, and I was given a budget, which is a massive deal when you're an artist because money, mm. you know, is always a struggle. Um, and so I was suddenly given this this platform to to create in a way that I never had done. So I just sat, I sat down in a cafe with a napkin and a pencil, 
And it came to me in about 30 seconds. And it was this feeling of, if I have no borders and boundaries around me in this piece of work, mm-hmm. what, what would my dream piece of work be? And it just came to me so quickly, like just bringing mm-hmm. together voices without prejudice, celebrating the universal language of, of embroidery as a way to connect and bring together voices um, from all over the world, people who I would maybe not normally get to meet, but through this work, you know, being able to to access disparate communities alongside people from maybe around the corner from where I lived and, and just the celebration of what it means to be a woman. So that's a very long convoluted answer <laughs> to your question. Um, well, okay. But I think it let, was, yeah. <laughs> let me ask you then. So um, because hundreds of people have been involved in this at this yes. stage, hundreds of women around the world in, I, I don't know how many countries, 20 or 30 countries, maybe? Uh, 46. 46 countries. Yeah. yeah. So, how did you set about reaching, how did you set about finding these people who would contribute to this? So I used to tutor at the Royal School of Needlework. And so I had a good network through them. Also, just living as a fine artist in London, that was my life 24-7. Mm. So I, I built up a really good network there as well. Also, family connections uh, from other expatriate uh, relatives or mm. um, places where we had lived and still had friends there. So I, I kind of reached out in every angle I possibly could to to, to find artisans. And it was very hard mm. at, at the start because the dress didn't look like how it looks now. And this mm. idea of, in some cases, layering up embroidery or, or having embroidery so close together was challenging for some artisans. And obviously there's a language issue too. I didn't have a massive budget to have translators and it mm. was just me <laughs> and mm. an email or a phone or... Um, yeah, so it was tricky, but but as momentum grew and as the dress began to form and shape, uh, it became a lot easier. And actually, the last few years, people would have just approached me, so that that, that mm. was how the commissions came about. But it, I, I began by looking for um, established artisans, mm. but then it just became much more interesting, and and, and, I, and I allowed the project to evolve in a very organic way. And sometimes I would have a connection with someone who wasn't a professional embroiderer, but they had this amazing story to tell. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, well, please, please do add that to the dress. And I think what I've tried to keep from that point onwards was, was, was no borders, no boundaries. So um, Mm -hmm. I have, you know, my my six-year-old son at the time when he was six, did did a little piece, you know, alongside very established uh, artisans in Saudi Arabia who has their own studio. So, you know, it's everything. Um, mm. and uh, I think that's what makes it unique you can go to so many museums and galleries around the world and see exquisitely embroidered dresses mm-hmm. but I think what you what this dress is is, is a I feel um, a snapshot if you like or a, or a moment in time and it's mm. it's open to everybody from all backgrounds yeah it's I mean it, it's obviously been an an evolution in itself I wonder mm. is there something about the evolution that um, has stood out for you? Is there something that has surprised you about what it has become? Mm, Definitely. I think I went into it um, with with a main aim to uh, celebrate cultural identities and bring together different identities. Um, What I didn't expect was for the dress to become, for some women, a platform for their voices to be amplified and heard. And it, it, it was um, delivered to me in, in one message from um, Nicole Esselin, who uh, is 
created Kisani, which supports the widows of war who worked on the dress from Rwanda and DR Congo. Mm. And um, she wrote to me at the end of this incredible, you know, stories and, and um, backgrounds for all the women who worked on the dress. And then she just said at the end, uh, thank you so much for giving these women a voice. It means so much. And um, it was such a huge sentence to read. Massive. And I, I, I remember it hit me like a, a ton of bricks. I was like, oh, my goodness. I didn't realize that this could be that. And actually, now that's what I want to really focus on. So then I began to, to, to seek out more communities um, who were using embroidery as a way of bettering their lives and supporting women who have been through trauma and war and abuse. And because and also that's been the biggest motivation for me to keep going all these years, because <laughs> there were many mm. years that were very hard to keep it going. But it was always the responsibility of that I felt of needing to to share these voices that they had such a a need to be heard um they were mm. so important yeah so so that element of it wasn't initially there mm. but it came in after a few years and um yeah that that's now in a way the main focus of, of the project so it has steered into quite a different direction yeah and it's it's really interesting at this point because you know th- there's obviously quite an emotional load that you maybe weren't expecting when you set mm. out on this journey you're taking on um a lot of things that have come from a lot of people who've experienced horrendous conditions terrible abuse grief death all of those things and you're you're seeing that so and and you you mentioned set, uh, feeling a responsibility to tell these stories what, how do you balance your own, I guess, self-care and being able to mm. protect yourself from all of this stuff that is coming to you and keep going, keep being creative, keep this show on the road, basically? It's mm. a good question. I wasn't very good at doing it, keeping the balance before, and I used to get extremely affected by the stories and my own struggle within the piece of work. And once I began to um, be asked to speak about the dress or to um, you know, be, I was beginning to be filmed for documentary and all this, I found the weight of everything just overwhelming. Um, and I used to be I used to get quite ill. Like, like, I think it was just my body just, just not coping mm-hmm. with the pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, I yeah, began my own journey of self-inquiry through, I became a Kundalini yoga teacher and I was immersed in meditation and, and yoga every day. And that suddenly massively helped to not only um, for my awareness to grow, but, but, but also self-care, self-love. And then after a while, I realized I needed a bit more support. So I have a counselor now. <laughs> she, mm-hmm. she massively helps me to um, process the stories also there there are times when I myself get very triggered by things that that are in you know in the stories that they bring up my own stuff um so yeah for instance um the the trip to Kosovo last year I I, mm. I came back and I was I was very 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 affected by all the stories I'd I'd been told and also the people I'd met you know so it wasn't like I was reading in a book there was people that I was spending time with um, and various monuments we went to to visit, including Heroinat, which honours the twenty thousand women that were raped in the war, and you know just just yeah, trying to trying to hold it, trying to mm-hmm. keep the dress as this kind of you know supportive vehicle, 
for the artisans, but also inside, like feeling so much hurt and pain and disbelief and, and, and a lot of my own stuff, you know. So just, just trying to keep it all in balance has been very mm. difficult. But I do feel now that I'm in a good place with it. For instance, now, if the dress is with me, then I just make sure it has a lovely box now, an aluminium box. I make sure that the dress is in the box when it's at home with me because mm. I was living alongside it for years. Yeah. You know, every time I go into my bedroom or something, it was there being worked and I was constantly being re-triggered, re-triggered, re-triggered. Yeah, and because yeah. I, I don't just see the dress, you know, I know every single story from every single artisan in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, yeah, I just I just keep myself much more boundaried and I do see a counsellor. <laughs> and I just <laughs> really just try and check in with myself and see what's coming up, you know, on a regular basis. Um and 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 that and it works, it works. So mm-hmm. now I, I I feel like it's I feel like it's good now. And um- as you've been on this 17-year journey with this dress, um, I take it you've been doing your own work, other work as well as that alongside it. Um, how, how do you balance that and how do you, I guess, have different strands of inspiration, different strands of thinking and creativity going on at the same time? Mm. So um, I actually have been working almost full-time on this dress for about two or three years mm. and for the few years before that, I, I wouldn't say I was really managing much time at all on my other work. So my own art mm. practice has, has really been put on the, the back burner. However, it, I'm now just beginning to, to reignite it, which is exciting. Um, but I'd always be doing things. I say I wasn't making actual pieces of work, but mm. I'd always be doing things with the kids or in the garden. I, I, I have to keep creating because it's who I am. I think ever mm. since I was well, I, before I started school, you know, I, I was so drawn to anything creative. And I remember that my first drawing when I first started school, I could just do it so easily. And I went home and showed my, my, my parents and they were like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I was like, I just love drawing. I just wanted to draw all the time. And um, so yeah, if I don't keep that channel flowing and open, then I, I, I definitely feel, I, I feel it. But my, my kids are both very creative. So yeah, I enjoy doing lots of things with them. But it's, um, yeah, it, it's who I am. And I know mm. that. So if you know, and I, it, it could come out. There were many years where I was a single mother, and it was very hard to have any time to do anything of, of that of that ilk. But then I found, you know, just ways of bringing it into cooking dinner or something, or um, I don't mm. know, arranging a, a vase of flowers, or um, yeah, just making like a, a flower mandala when we're out in the woods or something. So just just always keep trying to feel, allow the inspiration to come through, mm. and allowing to keep um, keep things bubbling and keep things exciting. Um, I know mm. when there have been times where I haven't done that for whatever reason, I had long COVID for many months and it, it, I, I just, it's, uh, I just don't really know who I am. It just feels yeah. stagnant yeah. and yeah. I totally get that. I totally get that. It's, it's almost like, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, um, it's like having a, a, some kind of an, a, a life boy or an air, an airbag or something supporting you. But, you know, if there's a puncture in that, if that drains away, yes then you don't realize why you're sinking because it looks like everything is still the same. But obviously, you know, you've, yes. you've let this bit slip away. Exactly. And I guess that's the, the discipline of creativity as well, isn't it? That we have mm. to recognize that we do need to feed it. We do need to nurture it. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Mm. And it feeds everything else. Yes. Um, and it goes straight to my well-being. <laughs> so, yeah, if, if it's not nourished, I think when, when my kids are much younger and I, and I, and I didn't have a partner, um, it was I, I just felt like I was running on empty, you know, so much mm-hmm. of the time. But then just just learning to just take, you know, just even if it's three minutes and just mm-hmm. do something in those three minutes to just keep that keep that flow 
keep yeah. that creativity bubbling. Uh, and, mm. you know, it's remarkable what you can achieve in three minutes. Um, it really I now is, know. isn't it? <laughs> it really is. And, yeah, people definitely, uh, what's it they say, that people really overestimate what they can achieve in a year and underestimate what they can achieve in a minute. Ah, okay. That's very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me see. Where are we going now? Um, I, yeah, just... You you obviously had a very um, unorthodox upbringing and a lot of creativity in that, um, and it doesn't sound like you were discouraged from pursuing creativity. Is is that is that a fair guess? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> yeah, I'm very lucky. Um, I think my parents always knew that that was my journey and that was what I wanted to do, you know, all all my spare time. But, um, yeah, I I mean, I kind of got through school fine. You know, I was kind of kind of middle of the road with English and maths. I was quite sporty, but yeah, art was just my Mm -hmm. thing. I just, I just loved it so much. They were definitely worried. Um, Mm. how, how are you going to earn your money? And, you know, all those kind of discussions, but, but I think, yeah, it was, it was just a no brainer. Um, mm. I'm, I'm one of three girls and yeah, my other sisters are much more academic and that was clearly their path. But mm. yeah, they, 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 they got it. Thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> you are very lucky actually. I mean, yeah. you've, you've no idea the number of people I've, I've seen and spoken to over the years and, you know, known over the years mm. who just had that, um, instinct, that urge, that, latent thing within them but um you know because of those concerns like how are you going to earn your money and Mm. how are you going to make a living um you know a a need to kind of protect them yes you know very well-meaning need to protect them that actually prevented them from that level of fulfillment I guess that they can really achieve in creativity yeah yes absolutely Mm. um so (laughs) the the dress is now on tour um, how long will it be on tour for and where is it where is it heading mm. so at the moment it's at the uh, fashion and textile museum in london and it's mm. there until early september it's a five-month stint there um in the 150 years of embroidery exhibition with the royal school of needlework so yeah very happy to have it in there mm. and it's great because it's a you know a london exhibition where people from a, a whole new audience you know can, can get can get to london lots of international people and so yeah that, that's brilliant then I've got it back with me for about two or three months and it's doing lots of events and presentations with me. So we'll have a very busy autumn. Um, hopefully going to um, Cairo and Sinai so to take the dress back to the artisans in Egypt and then exhibit the dress in, in Egypt itself. So that's hopefully going to happen in September. And then Pakistan, end of the year, again, to visit the Pakistani um, artisan and exhibit in Lahore. And then next year, it's a few months of the same um more presentations and events and then it heads off in the spring to Colombia and then it goes off to all around the states for I think it's a year and a half I mean nearly two years different venues and museums there and then up to Canada and then across to South Africa and then to Australia and and hopefully uh, Tasmania as well so yeah I think it's for three about three four years Um, but it's yeah I I have lots of other inquiries that are still bubbling but it often takes time to to get everything confirmed Um, and the big thing now is that to date I've always taken the dress places so I've gone with it and that's now not not able to happen like I have my 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 life is here you know with my family Um, I will be popping out to the various locations to do presentations 
Um, but essentially, the dress is is just heading off, and it's going to be uh, couriered by um, a company called WorldNet, which does couture, mm. couriering couture. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, so it's like just for dresses. It's a, just travel wow. dresses around the world. So, well, there's yeah. an issue didn't know existed, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? I only just learned of them last year because I was really struggling with with how I was going to, you know, find the right way of of, of, of the travel for the dress. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely thrilled. It's perfect. Did I notice that you are doing a crowdfunder as well? It's just finished. Just, yeah. Oh, it, yes, gosh. yes. And I'm absolutely delighted to say the full total and a tiny bit more was made. So yeah, I'm this week just in that lovely feeling of kind of lightness. Just oh, congratulations. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's hard work. It's hard work. I've done two now. This one was the only one by myself. And it, it's, it's, it's so much mm. um, putting out there and messages and essentially asking for for money and support which is it's just which brings up stuff for me definitely you know having to put yeah. yourself on the line like that but again it's not for me mm. personally it's for the project so I find it you know that that's yeah. much easier but yeah I'm overwhelmed by how much support was given well yeah. it's, it's such a an utterly gorgeous piece mm. Christy it is just stunning beyond belief um and you know I, I will obviously post links and um notes and pictures and so on oh, with this episode um, but you know it, it is that when I saw the picture first uh, uh, I think maybe our mutual friend Claire had posted yes. it on on LinkedIn and it was just so utterly beguiling but then as as you get into it as you understand more about what it is it's it's just the most beautiful project um, and thank you for creating it. Oh thank you that's lovely lovely words it's it's a, such an honour I feel sometimes that I've how does how can I phrase it? Like it's just kind of happened through me, and um, a conduit. Yeah, like mm. obviously there was so many decisions and conscious choices over the last few years, but but I feel I sometimes feel like how how did I get to be the one to do this? This is just incredible, and um, yeah, I feel it's it just makes total sense to me. Mm. that I'm doing this work in this way and I feel so privileged to be in that position mm. it's an honor to be able to connect with so many incredible women all around the world and yeah I, I feel grateful for, for every day yeah Claire um, sorry yeah. <laughs> Christy <laughs> forever merged in my head yeah, now yes exactly <laughs> Christy thank you so much um for sharing all of that with us and if a- anybody listening wants to see this exquisite exquisite item uh as it makes its journey around the world um I I guess we're going to be able to list all of those places yes it's all on the website as well. If you go all to on the, the website section, yeah, so it's updated frequently. So yeah, it's all there. Fantastic. Do try and see it if you can, folks. Thank you. Christy, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're still here? Great. Look, I know there's a lot to choose from out there. So thanks for flying with Ambition Incubator Airlines. And I look forward to seeing you on board again soon. Seriously, though, thank you for tuning in. My guests and I love hearing about what inspires you on the show and what advice has made a difference in your life or work and what you'd like more of. So get in touch. If you want to know about my other work, head over to ambitionincubator.com for details. And don't forget to hit subscribe for more great interviews, advice and bite-sized brain science every week. 